This is Pod Clubhouse's press pass coverage for ATX Season 11 Television Festival in Austin, Texas. Today I have with me Paul, who went off to the Capitol to check out all of the television wonders that it had to hold this weekend. I cannot wait to hear all about it, Paul. First of all, is this your first year at ATX? This is not my first year at ATX. As you know, <laughs> we've been attending since the Gilmore Girls reunion in, I believe that was season four. I think so. Yeah. Has it been that long? It has been Good that long. Lordy. We've seen some amazing things there. Some things you can't see anywhere else. Things you shouldn't see anywhere else. <laughs> Uh, but sadly, for the last two years, of course, it's been virtual for this crew over here. So this is the first time back. Tell me a little bit about the atmosphere of being back in person. Well, there were vax checks at the at the registration. So that was new. There was no policy insisting on masking that I was aware of, although maybe a third of people wore masks in the more crowded areas. One guy who I noticed had a Bob's Burgers mask. <laughs> so his, his mask looked like the lower half of Bob's face with oh, the mustache. I love it. Yeah. That's hilarious. That was hilarious. The atmosphere was just as excited as normal. People mixing with industry people, press people, uh, occasionally the the actors or the creatives. I think because the geography of the layout of where all the rooms and buildings were was much smaller than before. The, the chances of running into one of those people was uh, like a thousand percent higher than it had been before. That's interesting. So pandemic times have taken actually some of the venues out of rotation, like Alamo Draft House sadly closed in Austin. And so it, we didn't have as many screens to use. We didn't have as many of the familiar spaces, yeah. but they chose a new location this year where did they go and what did you think of the change they moved the basically the headquarters of the conference from the Stephen F. Austin Hotel to the Driscoll Hotel across the street. It's a bigger hotel. It's been relatively recently refurbished. It has more ballrooms, more breakout rooms, a bigger restaurant, just about in every way possible that it could be a better venue for a conference, it was. And it was also more central to all the other stuff that we, well, it wasn't exactly central to everything. It was just so close to things like the Paramount and the stateside theater yeah everything was super duper close i don't know if you recall there used to be both the alamo draft house that was on sixth street mm -hmm. the, there was a place called the google fiber space mm -hmm. which we did see some some memorable things there <laughs> but it wasn't a great location it was kind of far and it had just regular flat seating not stadium or anything like that right so, and pretty um restrictive seating honestly it wasn't big mm -hmm. right and uh and you might remember that other place i think it was like on fifth street maybe that was where we saw um i think we saw a drunk history there mm -hmm. that place wasn't in operation this time either that place was kind of cool because i'm not i in my head i want to almost call it like the armory or something like that because in my head that's what it looked like it had those like archway windows and it had like bars on the windows remember it had big doors like medieval looking yeah, doors yeah. yeah yeah but the nice thing about it was it was always dark and really cool in there and yeah. one of the things i commented on is paul is 
is mostly Irish and he is very fair skinned. And when he walked in the door, I said, how are you not completely red skinned after being gone for four days? How are you not sunburned all over? And it sounded like the changes they made kept you indoors more. They did. There were, since there were more rooms available in the Driscoll, they were able to hold more events in the Driscoll. And so only when they needed like a super large scale viewing, did they send us off to one of the two theaters. And thanks to some construction that was happening on that corner where we remember we waited up the hill for Gilmore Girls. Oh, yeah. I was thinking about how remember that one girl like fell out from like heat stroke. Oh, yeah. That's a war story so I shared with others to, was, to, to show that's my stripes. I'm telling you, you guys, like we I told him, bring an umbrella. Maybe there won't be rain, but you'll need it just to block the heat of standing in the sun in those lines. Well, now the, the line went the other way. So I don't know if you remember, but the Stephen F had the second floor like balconies. Mm -hmm. Well, so that, shade. that equals shade. And yeah. I believe fans. But right in that spot, they had uh, HBO had brought a marketing build out is what they called it, which was a coffee cart that they had made to look like a Westworld prop. It was operating. There was a woman in there who was acting as if she were a host, mm -hmm. taking orders, making coffee, saying things like Dolores is watching you. Uh, <laughs> That's super funny. Do you remember the one year they had Mr. Softy? This was cooler than Mr. Softy. <laughs> That's hilarious. That's from Pete and Pete. Yeah, yeah, I recall that. They took a, I took a video and I put it up on our, on our Facebook page. If you want to see what it looked like of the host taking a, uh, an order and delivering it, or the Pod Clubhouse Facebook page. So, was there a theme this year? I think the theme was "Thank God we're all back together." However, that being said, there is always a consistent theme of supporting work from people that haven't had um, opportunities to show their work so far. So, for instance, day one, the two events that I was able to attend that day, they were one was called Rutherford Falls, starring Ed Helms from The Office. He played Andy Bernard. Mm -hmm. And he was also in The Hangover. So a lot of people know who he is. This show takes place either in or around a reservation. And it is a reservation that looks like it is trying to modernize. And so there are various, I don't know, kind of Schitt's Creek style political battles going on to determine who's going to get their way determining the, the future of the reservation. But it's meant to be funny. Okay, so this is a comedy? It's a comedy. The show is written and produced by a pair of Native American women. And to their knowledge, they're, they're basically the first of their kind that... It is a uh, Native American showrunner with a mostly Native American writing room um, for a show centered around this kind of issue. So that, that was something new to me that I hadn't seen before. And this they are in their second season heading toward their, their third. That's fantastic. Where can people watch that? Peacock. So it was your second experience of that day. A premiere for a show called Dark Winds. Dark Winds is an AMC Plus show that is coming up in this month, June 2022, featuring an actor that a lot of people have seen before. His name is Zon McLarnon, who 
played the tribal police chief in Longmire. He also plays the most recognizable uh, ghost nation warrior in Westworld. In this, he gets to play a tribal police chief. And it's set not in modern day, right? It's set like in the 70s? 1971, to be correct. Instead of having a plot that features, like in such as in Longmire, where they would occasionally need to go into the reservation, but kind of butt heads with the administration of the reservation whenever, you know, Longmire needed to carry the long arm of the law in there. This is a story that is focused on the people of the reservation, more fully illustrating the kinds of things that were can be found there rather than just kind of coming in and coming out. This is like everyday life in terms of like their approach to family, religion, government, how they feel about their place in the world. That kind of stuff is more fully explored. I think that's fascinating. And, you know, all the different seasons of ATX have always had an element of diversity and inclusivity. And this is the first time I can think of not have one, but two shows that are talking about what life on the reservation would be like and, you know, issues of the day. I think fascinating. I look forward to checking out both of these. Well, you've been you've been going with me and I've been going with you to ATX for a long time. And this message of representation has been the big one, I would say, for the at least the last four years, maybe five. And, but it hasn't exactly necessarily matched up with programming just yet, at least not on the large scale. True. We would definitely see showrunners or we would see um, people talking about the importance of it, right? The, the goal of it. But you're right, not actually producing shows in the moment that we could see that not had yet. the representation right. that they were wanting. You guys check it out, Rutherford Falls, for more of a comedic spin and Dark Winds for more of a drama um, looking at life on the reservation. And I think that there's a lot there that will be really interesting for viewers. Definitely check it out. And it's based on a Tony Hillerman novel. The questions from the audience included things like, could you have a season two? And they said, we could have 18. He wrote a lot of books. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. That's always cool. And they have a lot of great source material. Yeah. It's using characters from his books that readers of his books will, I think it's a little mixed and matched in terms of time and place, but I think readers of the books will find what they want out of that that property translated to the small screen. Very cool. Heading over to day two, what were some things that you got to watch? Day two was the first full day of programming for me. Got started early 10 o'clock that morning, which felt very early. (laughs) (laughs) There's something about ETX that kind of keeps you out a little bit later than you meant to. And it always starts a little bit earlier than you remember last year's panel starting. So start out the morning day two with a pilot, an unsold pilot called Baron and Toluca. This was created by some of the people behind the original Roswell And what makes it interesting and unique is that it is a crowd-funded pilot. Mahandra Delfino and Brendan Fair, the brains and the actors behind this thing, couldn't find a way to sell this show the usual way. They turned to their fans that they had earned through their previous work, kind like like they did for the Veronica Mars movie, for instance. They crowd-funded enough money to get this thing shot. Well, that's always exciting because then there's already a built-in fan base that really wanted to see this made. And there were people that traveled from Santa Fe, uh, where they shot it, and Roswell, I guess, to 
come and see it premiere on the big screen. That's amazing. That must have been some energy. They were excited to see it. They <laughs> they they brought little um, pieces of swag that they had made on their own, you know, printers and crickets and whatever, and were just excited to have new people like me who have no idea about anybody in their food chain just attend and see what the energy is all about. Let me give you the premise. Take the premise of Galaxy Quest only insofar as you have actors who have been portraying something on TV and then a situation requires them to do that thing, but for real. Okay. Okay. Nothing else in common with that. Now, layer that on top of the X-Files where you have a Mulder and a Scully figure that in real life had a dating history that went south. Okay. And now it's many years later, they're having to be paranormal investigators, but they can't really be in the same room without, you know, sniping and, and squabbling with each other. There were funny moments. There were funny moments, but yeah, it, for this, for this to go further, they would, they would end up redoing it. Well, I think it's a really interesting festival in that they have things like the pitch contest, you know, they have something like this, where it was like independently funded, you know, just trying to get the story out there, trying to get some interest. There's something about that that I find like very hopeful and very inspiring for people who really want to break into industry that there is a format here for you to be able to tell your story, however, however far you've made it, whether it's just the idea or whether you've actually written something or if you've actually filmed something, maybe someone's going to see it and pick it up. Well, that's the chance. That's the hope. I mean, they have a track record of, of making shows with that, that develop a following, you know? So mm -hmm. there's that. You can't ignore that when you look at this, this work. So there's probably something to be mined out of this. And this is how they, they needed to display it in order to get that attention. So at this point, is there anywhere where our listeners can see it or they just need to keep their eyes open if they happen to see this name? They would have to look hard. Um, <laughs> they would have to look hard. Like, for instance, um, there was some really recognizable music in it. And someone said, your music budget must have been enormous. And they said it was a festival one-time only licensing. Oh, yeah. Okay. All right. They really did. They got creative, though. Yeah. Well, good um, for them. Yeah. Yeah. They did. Okay. So that was Baron and Toluca. So maybe if you guys see that, you can remember, hey, I heard about that on Pod Clubhouse when they were talking about ATX season 11. You'll be like, I'm already a little aware of that one. So keep your eyes peeled for that one. Uh, Snooki has a small role in it. Oh. Snooki did not, did not appear with the cast, although she was scheduled. But yeah, mm. she does have a small part as a, what uh, a, a volunteer described as an occultist. Ooh. Okay. <laughs> so something to look for, you guys. I, I scooted right from there to I Love That For You, which was right up against a different kind of panel. See, some of these panels have uh, a showing of the show, and then they also have cast, which a lot of people are very interested in hearing. Funny AF was a panel that had comedy showrunners attached to it, and that would have been people less well-known to you and me. However, it did include Ed Helms and Craig Robinson, who are pretty funny guys. But in this case, I decided to go with I Love That For You. And let me tell you why I'm okay with that decision, Okay, but it turns out Craig Robinson apparently 
went into the hotel uh, bar, sat down at the piano and had like a sing along with the people that were there with him. <laughs> so there was something to be missed by not being there. But I love that for you as a show partially inspired by Vanessa Bayer's own history with childhood leukemia. She's Which sounds kind of grim when you, when you just start off with that sentence. But it is a comedy. While she was sick, she developed this lifelong infatuation and just amazement with home shopping, like the home shopping network. And so the show is about a character who's trying to make her way on the home shop, a home shopping channel. I think it was SVN. And there is a cancer element where she is generating some sympathy for her cause by telling people she has it, but she might not. Yes. So, all right. So it w was based on her original true life story, although she says that like she doesn't have a brother in it. And she had to explain to her parents that like, uh, this is just a version. You weren't really exactly like this. But I loved the panel with her. She was so witty and smart and clever. And the way that she would talk about like how she actually used her own illness to get stuff and just if you watch the first like five minutes of this episode you guys she like basically cons the nurses out of a cookie cake just by kind of being like I wish I could have a cookie cake and it, I mean it was like one of those things where it's dark humor obviously but at the same time you know if you've spent any long time in the hospital there's something about that that just gets you through and this was one of her coping mechanisms was to kind of exploit you know her illness right for, for just little things like that like getting some pieces of cookie cake or she whatever. She said something like, if you're going to have cancer, you might as well get the free stuff. Or, yeah, you know, yeah. And, the, like and this was really her story in real life too. So, I mean, she was obviously... She's she's a cancer survivor herself, so she can say that stuff, you know? She's, like, in the inner circle. She can say it. That gave me so much, like, context for her character because once you know that that's a real part of her and her love of Home Shopping Network viewing is real. It's real. Uh... <laughs> you really understand, like, this character becomes very endearing because I think she shines through so clearly. Like, you're really watching a person's life, and it doesn't come off like hokey and stuff as it could because there are stereotypes of like the various hosts that are on the show you know that type of thing but I think that they do it with respect because she really loves Home Shopping Network. You could tell when she was talking to the audience or to the uh, moderator, because she was almost like, like if you were to ask me about Star Wars, I would tell you too much about Star Wars. <laughs> well, people were asking her about home shopping and she was telling us too much about home <laughs> shopping. Well, she was describing like her first purchase and it was like, it was like silver and rose gold. and gold. Like it was really <laughs> funny. And, and she obviously had the vocabulary you know the herringbone and the, all this all this like sophisticated you know type like but like also kind of silly kind of descriptions of things but with true love and respect for yeah. for this type of show that's on television i think it is something that i would 100 percent watch again i watched this episode through the virtual pass that i got which atx still offered this year and i was so happy to be able to kind of talk to you about what you saw and then be able to watch the episode myself and watch the panel myself 
and our kids loved it. They thought it was super funny. They're, you know, older teenagers and they totally understood it and thought it was funny. And it had like enough heart to it where you didn't feel like they were poking fun at either cancer or home shopping or anything. It was like an actual kind of like love letter to this whole genre of people that are sitting at home for various reasons, whether it's illnesses or whatever, where they just have this connection to a show like this where they feel like the hosts are talking to them. I think they're going to find an audience for this. If, right. the, if the audience finds out about it, they got to get to that audience. Yeah. But you know what? Then when Vanessa Bayer said she actually went on the Home Shopping Network as a host in real life. Yeah. I mean, that's the way to get the show in front of the right viewers. That's right. It's finishing its first season and it runs on Showtime. After that, I moved to a little more esoteric uh, topics. I went to a panel called Reinventing the Water Cooler or How to Get and Keep an Audience. This one was attended by one of the executive producers for Showtime's Yellow Jackets, one of the executive producers, I think the executive producer for a show called Cruel Summer. Her name is Michelle Purple. And then kind of a, a connective tissue for both of those shows, the vice president of scripted programming from E1 Entertainment, which is like the production company. Her name is Jacqueline Cesario. Now, Paul, we have a lot of listeners who may just be used to streaming, maybe working from home. And the concept of revisiting the water cooler is like, what are you talking about? These shows come out weekly. When they come out, they come out weekly like olden times. <laughs> like broadcast television. Right. They went back and forth trying to describe, because they were asked, like, what what is it that makes a binge show a binge show, meaning like a show that is dropped all at once versus a show that that is better off going week to week. And ah, this was a very frustrating kind of thing because this and the next panel that I, that I attended, the producers boiled it down to a gut feeling, which was sort of like antithetical to, to why we even had the, the meeting, why we had the discussion, you know, we right. came to find out what about these stories? And it was just like, well, this, these, we knew it when we saw it, that these would be better to create that community that that comes along the the long-term discussions in terms of solving or, or trying to solve as an audience the mystery that you don't get when you when you have a binge show and also like those shows that just have a lot of tension like um i i was just talking about this with someone else about the concept of like hollywood land and you know we it dropped all at once and so that became a situation where you're wondering if they're going to get cast like or is this group of young professionals going to become cast in various movies and there because it was binging it was one of those things where someone went to jail and literally five seconds later when it starts uh, starts the next episode they're getting out of jail hmm. so there was no actual stakes at any point because the the tension was completely cut instantly and we were lamenting like why can't we have more shows where we can sit around for seven days and say oh my god i don't think anyone's gonna get them out of jail or you know or oh my god in in the cases of things like yellow jacket like the mystery of it all being like what in the heck actually happened to these girls 
you need some time to process it. You need some time to get up on Reddit and your Facebook groups and listen to a podcast, right? Good yeah. on Pod Clubhouse. It sucks for us as podcasters when everything drops and we have to sit down and talk about it and it'd be like, all of you guys have already seen everything. <laughs> you know, there's very little for us to predict or tease out or even try to really understand because all the questions have been answered as far as they're going to be. For these particular shows, that skewed toward re almost requiring a younger audience. They needed a, a certain amount of time for word of mouth to happen in order to get the attention of people so that they stop scr scrolling TikTok long enough to look at the TV. Yeah, that's what I was kind of saying about that. I love that for you. You have to get it in front of the right viewers. And that in and of itself can be very complicated when you have these little like niche groups who are already have a medium they're watching. Like if you have the Home Shopping Network people, they're not watching a comedy you know, they're watching the Home Shopping Network, right, yeah. you know? And so it's like, how do you get in front of them and let them know there's a show about that? Well, this is the same kind of thing where you have these viewers that are like, you, you're right. How are you going to possibly let them know about it? Someone said, um, so what are you going to do next or something like that? And and uh, the Jacqueline, the, the, uh, the one who has a hand in both shows, said in a deep voice with her hand on the microphone, a soccer team of boys on a plane. <laughs> <laughs> For those of you who have not seen yellow jackets that's the premise right but Except it's they're, girls but it's girls right <laughs> well that's super funny well it sounds like that they they had you know a sense of humor about it but it is something that we got into podcasting because of lost and because of the leftovers and those were shows that we would relish when they came out each week and we would just sit there and talk about it for hours on end with friends family anybody who would listen oh my gosh remember uh, television without pity we get on there read every theory read every idea what's going on you know uh, did she really go through to the other side i don't know like the whole thing i mean part of the experience of the show was the fandom yeah and it, i mean they went hand in hand you couldn't get the full experience if you didn't have the interaction with the community you know it was it was not an individual relationship with those shows so i hope that more of the of these shows will start dropping one at a time and giving us a chance to talk about them again. I really miss that. The next panel I went to was called The Futurescape, a, a look at what's ahead in TV. This was another panel that had producers from, uh, let's see, these were executives from HBO, from Showtime, the same um, executive VP from E1, Jacqueline was still there, and then an exec from... Kilter Films, which has some production role in Westworld, so they work with HBO. And then someone, uh, the head of scripted programming from a production company called Rooster Teeth, which is most well known for making animated products. And this one also amounted to, they had gut feelings about what's good and what's bad. And uh, there was a couple of interesting comments. For sure, you're going to see more intellectual property work. That's not going away. They're not just going to close up shop at Star Wars and Marvel and say, well, we had a pretty good run. That's not happening anytime soon. Well, I know you're going to expand on that because you had an entire panel on IP shows. But can you explain a little bit to our listeners? What do you mean by that? You're going to see a lot more IP work. Intellectual property, meaning like they the decision makers behind who gets what 
made on television programs, television networks, are going to continue to rely on the tried and true name brand entertainment. We, but whether or not it comes from pre-existing movies that never mentioned books, so work, like comics and stuff. work that you are already familiar with from some other way. They're going to keep mining those. They did mention, and you might think this is interesting, podcast listener, podcasts are starting to become one of those kinds of IP that you see getting made into television. And they, they recognize that here. I mean, I think we could all say only murders in the building was certainly inspired by inspired by yeah. right, podcasting and that type of thing. So is it wrong to say that they're just, they're just creating franchises? Like, I mean, no, they're basically filling out the universes of these characters that are interconnected. We all recognize that as franchises, right? Yeah. It's for the for our purposes, it's interchangeable, really. IP just makes it sound like you're you're well read in the in the in uh, the you know the big high terms. I'm here to make it accessible to everyone. Okay. Yes. So the thing about that is that I do think there's a lot of love and interest in having stories told about some of those periphery characters. I know, like we just ended This Is Us, and there's been a lot of conversation about things like spinoffs and wanting to take characters that maybe weren't as delved into and let them run with their own show. And it seems like what we're hearing just. Sort of like when we had like the years of the reboot, you know, a couple mm-hmm. years back. I feel like this concept of like if you have something good, there is no reason to walk away from it. Yeah, you know, take that viewership, just take it a little bit in a different direction. And some people aren't not going to go with you, and you can pick a small character and really, you know, just get that one season out of them. I think there's a lot to go on with that, and I think I think fandoms are tired of walking away from characters that they've loved for so many seasons and then like like i'm gonna use this as us to just be like and now you never get to know about them again yeah people are like no i'm invested it would be foolish not to go back to that well and just pick another character and just every once in a while dip back in see what people are doing back in the this is us world yeah it's, it's about generating viewership and numbers you know as tempting as it might be to create cheap half hour comedies for people like HBO or whatever that's those are the ones that are fairly forgettable they don't really generate the the Game of Thrones type numbers that they want and speaking of Game of Thrones I mean obviously House of Dragons coming and then you know I'm thinking of our own podcast Yellowstone spinning off with 1883 and the four sixes like there is a whole wrapped arms around this idea of like once you have a core concept you just just let the spider web go. Well, even the the following morning, I attended the screening of Walker Independence. Walker, you know, the, the original Walker Texas Ranger was Chuck Norris. <laughs> that ran for several years. And then they rebooted it with Jared Padalecki. And they let that run for, what, one or two years before spinning it off to a, to a way early prequel, like, you know, 1883 style with this Walker Independence. But we'll get there in a minute. We're not quite done with day two. We just wanted to expand on Caroline's point. Yeah, I mean, I you know, I'm for it. And I think that there's a lot of fans out there especially I mean we certainly get this when we're kind of like maybe even feeling finished with a show sometimes we have listeners who are like hey we've been listening to you for a long time in this don't you dare walk away from from this show see you Maisel fans (laughs) 
like you guys get back in there because we we're attached like we are used to hearing your voice every week and we expect to hear it cool i think this is great and i'm excited to hear more about some of the other franchises like nobody is missing the boat on star wars and marvel and all that like the doy we get it y'all are gonna take that and you are gonna suck it dry okay but some of the other ones like you're saying walker great example you know like there's other shows out there that deserve more scrutiny i guess of like individual characters you know like let's really get into them and analyze really what's going on in these side stories i think you'll continue to see that um one interesting thing that that they did bring up was the current global financial situation mm. with inflation being what it is how is that impacting their production and they were a little cagey but they said so far so good except in the realm of visual effects because okay. because they farm that out to companies in other countries south korea india places like that and they said that those are getting off their charts in terms of how much that's costing them. Well, then I am curious if shows like This Is Us or even really Walker, you know, will get more love over, say, a Marvel show because they require far less special effects, far less green screen work. You know, certainly there's got to be some appeal in that. Well, they that was the assumption. But all the all the executives said, well, if we love a show and it requires effects, I don't think that would t that would make us say no. However, we're kind of only at the beginning of this thing, you know, 100 percent. Yeah. So, so we'll see. We'll see is a good uh, outlook. I mean, certainly we saw how, you know, COVID affected, you know, seasons and episodes and cutting back of storyline and, and even which characters could even be on screen anymore. Like, I don't think anyone knows until it's happening how yeah. uh, a situation is going to affect right. our shows. So, so then that night we had a parenthood reunion, which this is something that ATX does every year. And I always look forward to the reunion shows we saw. You mentioned Gilmore Girls. Battlestar Galactica was another huge one. Felicity. Felicity. Oh, my gosh. Just to see. Ugly Betty. Just to see their faces again. Right. <laughs> I mean, how much were you like dying at Battlestar? I know you were dying. Oh, I loved it. I mean, we got okay seats. They were like the front seats, but on the balcony. So uh, I just I just loved soaking in all their little stories. I was a little sad they uh, they tried to zoom one of the cast members, and that did not really work out positively because it wasted time from the good <laughs> stories that the rest of the cast was telling. Well, we all know now, years later, that tech can be kind of a... The atmosphere of the room does not translate to the person on the other side of the screen, and they have a hard time kind of clicking into the conversation. So what did you think of Parenthood Reunion? First of all, I know that I watched Parenthood back in the day, and certainly we have uh, some connections to it in that one of the central storylines is that one of the children is autistic um, in the story, and we have two children who are also autistic. So there were some things there that I always wanted to see, but I always had such a tender heart about the show because we were actively going through it, that I would I would kind of like come and go from the show. I'd be like, oh, it's getting too close to home. And I'd have to kind of like back off a little bit. So did you enjoy seeing some of these characters again? Certainly we both had the source material of the original movie with Steve right. Martin. That was something that we all grew up with. Yeah. I kind of watched the Parenthood show over your shoulder 
enough to know relatively what was going on. Originally, both Peter Krause and Craig T. Nelson were scheduled to appear. However, they did not. So it was a much smaller cast appearance that did take the stage, including Dax Shepard, Eric Christensen, Joy Bryant, Monica Potter, the show creator, Jason Kadams, and their lead director, Lawrence Trilling. He, they made, um, I think they said like 109 shows, something like that, and he directed 40 of them. So he's probably like the majority presence in the, in the director's chair for them. This was Dax Shepard's show, uh, at least the, that night. His presence made anything that might have gone <laughs> the direction that the that the organizers didn't see coming, he brought it back and kept it funny, kept it light. For as big and loud as and proud as he was on stage, uh, he was delightful to see doing his Dax Shepherd thing. I think that Dax has changed a lot over the years in terms of being like a dad. And I, I definitely felt a Papa Bear vibe up there, even though he plays Crosby, who is a pretty goofy guy and definitely like one of the youngest siblings of the Braverman tribe there. He he had a very like wanting to take care of everyone, wanting the rest of the cast to look good, no matter what anyone was saying or doing. He definitely was kind of swooping in and kind of being like, you know, kind of massaging <laughs> the conversation down a better path. Exactly right. Um, there were some answers that didn't quite line up with what was asked and he would bring it back around to, right. to giving something that the audience wanted to wanted from that question. Which you can never really know. I mean, we had a conversation before we got on the mics here asking each other, like, what do we want out of a reunion? Because for my own self, I have very specific expectations for a reunion. I want to know some behind the scenes stories. I want to know, like, if there was any changes that went on in the story as we were all watching it, did they take in and any of our responses oh my gosh like for lost and stuff like that so many of us were like they're reading these pages they're reading the chat rooms i just know they are and you know like i want to hear back from the creatives and the writers how were they responding to us in real time when this show was on and i want to hear from the actors what the behind the scenes relationships were and what they thought of their characters arcs stuff like that i am not so keen on their current everyday life kind of silly inside jokes mm -hmm. like those things aren't exactly why i'm there now for you paul what are your expectations when you go into a reunion well i think 80 percent of what i want is like the same stuff everybody wants which is those stories from set what do they remember most something about what happened behind the scenes that the rest of us wouldn't know. Then the other 20% that I want to know is stuff that they don't usually get asked. They are often asked, what's your favorite episode? The answer is always the pilot. You know why? That's the only one they remember. Oh my God, it's so true. Because they made a hundred of them. <laughs> Very true. They'll be like, did I say that? I don't remember. Why do people ask me that all the time? Yeah, they, it doesn't matter what show. They all say the pilot. Lauren Graham is supposed to have like a photographic memory and they will ask her lines from Gilmore Girls and like Oi with the Poodles already. And she's like, where is that even from? And people be like, <laughs> it was in the episode. She's like, I don't know what they're talking about. So I was bummed that Lauren Graham didn't make it because um, she, is, she is a huge draw for me. And Peter Krause, Craig T. Nelson as well. Like those three for me would have been big to have in that reunion yeah and i know you guys were really excited about craig t nelson and yeah. Peter Krause. so how did they let you guys know that they weren't coming if you had the atx app it just went bing oh. update 
Well, you know, that's one of the things that you have to be cool. Sometimes Craig Robinson sits down and plays on the piano and it's very exciting. Other times the people you're hoping <laughs> will be there, they don't show up. So right. yeah. overall, I mean, I know this is a reunion they had in the works for like three years at ATX. They didn't want to do it during the pandemic. They kept pushing? They kept pushing. I wonder now, you know, because they probably could have gotten Craig and Peter and Lauren and other people on a Zoom, right? Right, I yeah. Wonder, I wonder if that was the best move they could have made. That's one of the virtues of the Zoom years was I think in some cases they were able to get people or panels together that would never have come to Austin, whether they were just too busy or it was too many people from the same show. Like they had the Mandalorian director's panel the first year. There is 0% chance that you get John Favreau, Taika Waititi, Bryce Dallas Howard, uh, Deborah Chow, all those directors in Austin at the same time but you can in zoom yeah and especially i mean people weren't working so much either so you had more opportunity because people were just in at home doing their thing growing their beard cutting their bangs whatever yeah. they were doing well, i'll talk about they're, that they're uh, willing to chat about it on this on this next day i'll talk about that well that is a great teaser to leave this one on paul because we are very excited to continue our coverage in our part two episode of atx season 11 so you guys come on back please head over to apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcast and rate review and subscribe it always helps to give us five stars you guys it's just easier to find the episodes thanks so much thank you for listening this has been an original pod clubhouse production pod clubhouse is a podcast network dedicated to encouraging collaboration among podcasters and friends to bring a fresh voice and diverse perspective on a wide array of content please visit and leave a comment for us at podclubhouse.com rate review and subscribe to our podcast feeds on apple podcasts Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find us at Pod Clubhouse. Our DMs are always open, and we'd love to hear from you. Pod Clubhouse.